All right, are you guys glad you came today? I hope we still feel that way after the uh, sermon today. This is not an easy text we're looking at today, but let's continue in worship now by opening our Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Today we're looking at verses 49 through 59, and we're wrapping up our mini-series in the book of Luke entitled Watch Out. We've been looking at some of Jesus' warnings as he taught the crowds. So before we look at our main text for today, I want us to take a moment to remember the context and think about where we've been so far. So if you look back at the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus warned the crowds to watch out for hypocrisy. Don't be like the Pharisees who pretended to be very righteous on the outside, but inwardly they didn't love God and didn't love people. And then he warned us to watch out for the fear of man. He said the only one we should fear is God because God is the one who controls our eternal destination. And he told us to live a life that acknowledges him before others. Remember, we represent him, so don't fear man, but live in reverent fear of God instead. So next, we got an interruption in the story, and this is very important for us today, this interruption in the story. As Jesus was saying all these important things to the crowd, a man interrupts Jesus saying, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He interrupted Jesus' teaching because he was fighting with his brother over money. But Jesus refused to insert himself in the middle of this argument. Instead, he began to teach them, watch out for greed. Life is about more than your possessions. Now, I want you to keep that interruption in the back of your mind today um, as we read today's passage because that's going to help us understand this text. A man interrupts Jesus because he's fighting with his brother about money. Jesus refuses to play referee, and instead he says, watch out for greed. From there, he told us to watch out for anxiety, not to be worried about earthly material needs, but seek first God's kingdom. Life is about more than money and material things. Finally, Jesus told us why life is about more than all of this. It's because this age is coming to an end. Jesus is coming back again, and we need to be ready for his return. That was our last watch out passage that we looked at. Watch out for Jesus' second coming. And it's in this context that we get our passage today. So follow along with me in Luke 12, beginning at verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. 
I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. That's our text for today. Let's take a moment to pray before we dive deeper. Father, we thank you so much for your word, even for difficult passages like this one today. And God, I pray that you would just uh, have your way in us as we study your word today. Help us to understand what you're saying. Help us to apply it to our lives and help us to walk in obedience to you. We pray that you would just receive glory in this place today and that you would draw us closer to you. Amen. All right, so we have here in this passage, first of all, Jesus giving his audience realistic expectations. He's telling them what they can expect from him, from his life, his ministry, his kingdom, what sort of impact he is going to have. And if you're not familiar with this passage, what Jesus says here may surprise you. And I imagine these words were probably surprising to the original hearers as well. First, Jesus tells them not to expect peace. Don't expect peace. Verse 51 says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you. Now hang on a minute. Isn't Jesus the prince of peace? Didn't the angels announce his birth, saying, Peace on earth, goodwill to men? Paul writes in Romans 5 that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes in Philippians 4 that when we pray, the peace of God will guard our hearts. Ephesians 2 talks about Jesus making peace between the Jews and Gentiles, breaking down the wall of division between us. Doesn't Jesus call us to live at peace with one another? Doesn't he say, blessed are the peacemakers? Well, yes, the answer is yes. In one sense, Jesus absolutely did come to bring peace. But obviously, in another sense, not so much. So, What is Jesus talking about here? Well, this is where the context helps us interpret this passage. Remember that part of what Jesus is saying here is in response to this man who interrupted him back in verse 13. This man asked Jesus to settle a financial dispute between him and his brother. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is, no, that's not why I'm here. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not your dad coming to break up a fight between these two brothers and tell tell your brother to share with you. That's not why I came. Remember, this interruption came in the middle of Jesus giving this very important talk, this very serious talk about hypocrisy, greed, judgment, and eternity. He's talking about all these weighty, important things, and this guy interrupts with some silly trifle, an argument about money. I think Jesus is like, pay attention. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? And you want to talk about money? You want me to play referee between you and your brother? No, that's not why I'm here. You see, Jesus didn't come to be the morality police. He's not a life coach. He's not Jerry Springer or Dr. Phil or Judge Judy. He's not here to settle petty disputes and help you win an argument. And I think even today, Jesus gets put into that box sometimes. People only want to bring up Jesus and the Bible if it'll help them win an argument or an election or if it'll help them manipulate someone into doing what they think is right. They treat Jesus like he's only here to iron out some wrinkles and make life a little bit smoother. But we need to realize Jesus did not come to improve our lives. He came to save them. And he says the only way to save your life is to lose it, to surrender it to him. Jesus didn't come for life improvement. He came for a whole life revolution So in a way, no, Jesus did not come to bring peace, but to bring disruption, to upset the established order. 
Jesus wants to turn our lives upside down in order to save them. So he says, don't expect peace, but expect division. In the long term, yes, Jesus ultimately came to bring peace, but until he returns and restores all things, we should not expect absolute relational peace with everyone. We should work toward peace. We should do whatever we can to be peacemakers, but we should expect division. Expect Jesus to divide opinion. You can expect those who hate Jesus to hate his followers as well. Jesus teaches us in this passage, we can expect families to be torn apart over him. Why is that? I think it's because the most important question you may ever answer is, what will you do with Jesus? Who is he to you? How will you respond to the claims that he has made? Because Jesus has made huge, all-important claims not only monumental theological and philosophical claims, Jesus has made a claim on your very life. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying here there is no other way to be saved. All other ground is sinking sand. There is no other way to be in right relationship with God but to come to Jesus And that is a massive claim that demands a response. You can dismiss Jesus as a liar or a lunatic, or you can follow him as Lord. The only thing you can't do is remain neutral. We cannot ride the fence with these massive claims that Jesus made. There's a great little book called Basic Christianity by an old preacher named John Stott. And in the book, Stott talks about the response that Jesus demands He said, the Christian message has a moral challenge. If the message is true, the moral challenge has to be accepted. So God is not a fit object for man's detached scrutiny. You cannot fix God at the end of a telescope or a microscope and say, how interesting. God is not interesting. He is deeply upsetting. The same is true of Jesus Christ. We study Jesus and are in the profoundest way spiritually disturbed. A man may study Jesus with intellectual impartiality. He cannot do it with moral neutrality. We must declare our colors. I love those words from John Stott. God is not interesting. He's upsetting. We study Jesus, and we are spiritually disturbed. We can't remain neutral. We must, remain, we must declare our colors. You see, Jesus has made a claim on our lives, and that demands a response. And how we respond to Jesus is the most important thing about us. It will automatically divide humanity into two groups. You hear this all the time. There are two types of people in this world, and that's true. There are those who are saved by faith in Christ, and there are those who are lost in sin without Christ. And there's no other choice. And so Jesus inescapably divides us into two groups. And it's no minor distinction. It's a huge divide. So much so that Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he calls Christians a new humanity. There's an old humanity and there's a new humanity. The division between Christians and non-Christians could not be more significant. So unsurprisingly, We can expect those who don't follow Jesus to not always see eye to eye with those who do. 
we can expect to see some clashes between these polar opposite worldviews. We can expect those who are hostile toward the gospel of Jesus to be hostile toward the followers of Jesus. We should expect division. That is, if we continue to stand for the truth. Expect division. Finally, Jesus tells us to expect fire. Now, there is disagreement about what he means by fire here because, quite frankly, the fire is a symbol that's used to mean all kinds of things in the Bible. We see fire all over the Bible meaning different things. But given the context, I believe the most natural way to read this is to interpret fire as judgment. I think everything in the surrounding passages lends itself to that interpretation. Think about Jesus saying, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Remember him saying, don't fear man who can kill the body, but fear God who has the power to kill and to cast into hell. Remember him saying, if you deny me before men, you will be denied before the angels. Back in the parable he told, he talked about the master returning and cutting the unfaithful servant into pieces. All of these are pictures of judgment. And so all of the context, I think, gives us a clue that what Jesus means here is judgment. Expect him to bring judgment upon sin. There is a day of judgment coming for all who have rebelled against God and rejected Jesus. And that's terrible news for the lost. But what's surprising in this passage to me is that Jesus is looking forward to that day. He says in verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. He wishes the fire were already kindled. He wishes the day of judgment was already here. And that sounds very harsh to us, doesn't it? That's a head scratcher. Jesus is looking forward to this day of judgment. I think maybe the reason why that sounds so strange to us is because maybe we don't see sin the same way Jesus sees it. Maybe we don't take sin as seriously as we should. You see, sin is an ugly thing. Sin is rebellion against a good and loving God. It's a refusal to worship the only one who is worthy of worship. And instead, man worships himself. Think about this. Sin is what corrupted all of creation. Everything that is evil or broken about the world we live in is the result of sin. Sickness, death, decay, war, greed, abuse, you name it. If it's broken, sin is what broke it. And sin is what nailed the sinless son of God to a cross. Sin is an ugly thing. And so Jesus rightly longs for the day when God's fiery judgment will be poured out upon the world's sin, the day when sin will be no more, and when all that sin has broken will be restored. He longs for the day when justice will be served, when every wrong will be righted, and when there will finally be peace. He longs for that day, and so should his church. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day of restoration. What a terrible day it will be for those who are lost, but what a day of rejoicing for Jesus and his church. You see, to the lost, this fire that Jesus is going to bring, what is it? It's to the lost, it's judgment. 
But to the church, to Jesus, it's justice. So these are the expectations that Jesus lays out for us. Expect Jesus to divide people and expect him to come with fiery judgment and justice. And we see this theme continue in the warning that he gives in the next paragraph. So let's look at Jesus' warning to this audience. First, Jesus rebukes the crowd for their spiritual blindness. He says they know how to interpret the signs of the weather. They know how to watch out for rain or watch out for scorching heat. They've got a good grasp on these things, maybe because that's the kind of knowledge and wisdom that they actually care about. This is the kind of knowledge and wisdom they actually pursue. They know how to watch out for the weather, but he says in verse 56, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? You can predict the weather, but you can't see what's right in front of you. So think about that. Jesus is God in the flesh, the Messiah, the King, the Savior, standing right in front of them. And yet so many failed to recognize him. They overlooked all the miracles, all the prophecies fulfilled, all the teaching, all of who he is, his heart, his character. Think of all the stories we've read so far in the book of Luke that point to who he is. But they couldn't read these signs. They could predict the weather, but they couldn't see what God was doing right in front of them. Why? Because they weren't looking. This is not the kind of knowledge and wisdom that mattered to them. This is not the kind of knowledge and wisdom that most people pursue. The answer was right in front of them, but they didn't have eyes to see it. And maybe that's because they were so busy pursuing other things. Think about what Jesus was saying just before this passage. Watch out for greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Don't worry about food and clothing. Seek first the kingdom of God. Store up treasures in heaven. Jesus was trying to shift their eyes away from the things of this world to the things of God. They were seeking all these other things, but what they really needed the most was right in front of them, and they couldn't see it. They couldn't see him. Judgment was coming. The Savior had come, and they were blind to all of it. Now, remember that man who interrupted Jesus? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So we see Jesus warning them, wake up, listen to me. Judgment is coming. Eternity is on the line. Think of your soul. This man interrupts Jesus to talk about money. And so Jesus says to the crowd, and I think especially to this man who interrupted him, verse 57, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Judge for yourselves what is right. Settle your disputes out of court. Be reconciled to your adversary while there's still time because you don't want to stand before the judge and risk being found guilty and thrown into prison because if you do, you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. Now, on the one hand, I think this is just practical advice for worldly conflicts. Jesus is answering that man who interrupted him. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. No, settle it yourself. 
be reconciled to your brother as quickly as you can. This is just good practical advice. But on the other hand, on a deeper level, I think this is spiritual advice meant for the whole crowd and even for us. You see, to understand the good news of the gospel, we have to understand the bad news first. The bad news is that all of us have sinned against the good and holy God, and the day of judgment is coming. We stand rightly accused and guilty. And were we to stand before the almighty judge, we would rightly be condemned and thrown into hell. God's prison for sinners who have rebelled against their king and broken his righteous law. And we wouldn't get out until we've paid the very last penny, the full penalty for our sin. And how long would that take? It would take forever. Hell is eternal because our guilt is infinite. You see, we haven't just sinned against our fellow fallen human beings. We have sinned against the God of the universe, the perfect, holy, righteous, just, glorious God. He is infinitely good and infinitely great and infinitely worthy of worship, and we've turned against him. And that is why sin is such an ugly thing that it deserves an eternal punishment. One of the early church fathers, Anselm, said, the debt was so great that while man alone owed it, God alone could pay it. But that is precisely the good news that we celebrate this morning. Our God has paid the debt. Jesus said in verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's talking about the cross where he will be baptized, fully immersed in the wrath of God the Father, where he paid the full price for our sins. He, the sinless one, suffered and died under that fiery judgment of his Father so that sinners like us would not have to. He paid the last penny on the cross, and he cried out, it is accomplished, it is finished. That's the gospel that we celebrate this morning, that God has provided a way for us to be reconciled to our adversary, reconciled to himself. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. And so now we have a chance to settle out of court, and we don't have to face God as our judge. Jesus already did that in our place. And so if we turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus, then we will not meet God as judge but as father and savior and friend. So my question for you today is what will you do with Jesus? You can't remain neutral. There's only two types of people in this world. There's those who trust and follow Jesus and those who reject him. Those who stand before God as savior and those who will stand before God as judge. So if you're listening today, and you know that you're lost, I plead with you, in Jesus' name, be reconciled to God before it's too late. The day of judgment is coming, but today is the day of salvation. So turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus. Trust your soul to him. Now for the church today, how should we respond to this scripture? First of all, rejoice in your salvation. What a great gospel. 
We were lost and headed for judgment, but praise God we're saved. Let the wonder of that sink into your heart today. And church, let us pray for those who are lost, our families, our friends, our co-workers, our congregation in this city, in this country, around the world. Pray that God would break our hearts for those who are lost and headed for judgment. Pray today that he would fill us with passion and boldness to reach them with the gospel. And finally, I want to encourage you today to be ready to share Jesus with others. That's our job as the church, to spread the gospel. And so be ready for those opportunities. Let's not make excuses why we can't do what God's called us to do. If you say, I don't know how to share the gospel, then study and learn how. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Sean. We would love to help you with it. Practice talking about the gospel with yourself, with your family, with your church family. Do everything you can to equip yourself. Eliminate your excuses. What do you need to do to be ready? What do you need to do to be ready to have those gospel conversations? Everybody act natural. All right. So we're going to go into our response time today. Um, I, want to, I just want us to spend a few minutes in prayer today. And so uh, as we take this time of silence, would you just pray about your own soul? Would you talk to God about what Jesus did for you on the cross? And will you take time to pray for someone you know who is lost? Pray for their salvation and pray about how you can share the gospel with them. Let's take a moment to pray.